This is the Mathematics Education Podcast from MathEdPodcast.com. Welcome to the MathEd Podcast. My name is Sam Otten from the University of Missouri, and today we have a special episode where I'm going to be talking to a few authors who have chapters in the forthcoming book called Psychometric Methods in Mathematics Education, and that's a book being published by NCTM coming out soon, and it's edited by Andrew Ejak, Janine Remillard, and Jonathan Templin. So my first guest is Nicole Kirsting, who's an associate professor in the Department of Teaching, Learning, and Sociocultural Studies at the University of Arizona. Nikki, thanks so much for speaking with me. Of course. Thank you for having me. Nikki has one of the chapters in this forthcoming book, and that chapter was written with Philip Stevenson and Mai Quang Chen. Their chapter is titled, Examining and Understanding Dimensionality in the Context of Instrument Development. And there's a nice subtitle here too, Considerations from the Classroom Video Analysis Instrument Measuring Usable Teaching Knowledge in Mathematics. So that chapter uh, is one that we're going to be talking about with Nikki. But first, Nikki, I want to back up and just get a little bit of background on yourself. Where was it that you got your PhD, and what was the focus of your dissertation then? Um, I got my PhD at UCLA in the Graduate School of Education. Um, my emphasis was on advanced quantitative methods, and my dissertation actually was the first pilot on measuring teacher knowledge in the way that we have been measuring it using short video clips of classroom instruction. So in the book, your chapter and other chapters deal with measuring teacher knowledge, and the book really offers a lot of different portraits and illustrations of how psychometrics and people working in psychometrics can contribute to the mathematics education efforts to understand mathematics teacher knowledge or other things that need to be measured or that measuring them in careful ways would help our field progress. Um, And so yours depends on Uh, the idea of dimensionality and how dimensionality plays into attempts to measure constructs like teacher knowledge. So first of all, could we just start with um, an explanation of what you mean by dimensionality, where it has kind of a particular meaning in this context, and what do you mean by dimensionality with respect to a measurement instrument? So um, I guess the most important thing to realize is that dimensionality is really a property of data. In our case, it's assessment data because we, we are interested in measuring teacher knowledge. The second important thing to realize about dimensionality is that as instrument designers or instrument developers, we are having control about the dimensionality of our instrument. For example, if we have very few items on each of the subdomains, and these items cluster well together, then we have a single dimension or something that's close to a single dimension. But as we increase the number of items measuring particular subdomains, we are likely to create subscales that then create multiple dimensions within our data. So the important piece to take away is really that dimensionality is a property of assessment data or any kind of data, and that in instrument development, we have sort of control in designing dimensionality. Mm -hmm. So um, this isn't my area of expertise, but as I'm trying to wrap my head around it, it's really kind of an abstract concept of what are the phenomena and kind of how many different dimensions of phenomena underlie the data. Is that kind of a, a rough way of saying it? Yes, like typically what we want to do when we um, design instruments is we start with some theory about some construct we intend to develop an instrument to measure. 
And usually that theory sort of tells us something about the dimensionality. Some constructs are purely unidimensional. In other constructs, we assume based on prior work that they are multidimensional. So typically when we try to design instruments, we hope to design instruments in such a way that they reflect our theoretical understanding of the underlying construct. And then as part of construct validity investigations, we end up testing our instrument against that hypothesized theory. And what we want to see on average is that our instrument sort of reflects the underlying hypothesized structure of the construct. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's making me think of one example of this, I think, is in elementary mathematics, number and operations is conceptualized as a lot of times two dimensions, like you understand what number is and what it means, and then you understand the operations of how to put those together. But then uh, I interviewed David Purpura about the possibility that maybe it's really three dimensions, like maybe there's number, operations, but also relations, and that there might actually be some evidence in the data that it's actually three things kind of going on rather than just the two. So is that the sort of thing that you're talking about where it's getting at this underlying structure that's beneath the data, so to speak? Yes, yes. And, and on average, that's what we want sort of to approximate as much as possible. But then there are like a number of constructs, among them, for example, teacher knowledge, where our understanding of the structure of the construct is still very limited. And so it becomes a chicken and an egg problem, right? We can design instruments that have a particular dimensionality, but we don't really have strong enough theory to sort of tell us what that dimensionality should be. And so it's kind of, it's kind of a loop. And you've done some work in the past related to teachers' mathematical knowledge, as opposed to like my example, which was kind of like students' knowledge. You had that past work on measuring teacher knowledge, and now you have this present chapter looking at the dimensionality and a particular instrument where you're trying to measure teacher knowledge. So just tell us about how your past work has set the stage for this current chapter. Like when I first started being interested in teacher knowledge and, and ways to measure it, it started in a very organic way. Like I was part of the Tim's video studies that came out of UCLA under the direction of Jim Stigler at the time and Ron Gallimore and James Hebert. And one of the things that I noticed back then, I was still a student in graduate school, is that no matter to whom we showed parts of these videos, they sort of had very systematic responses to them that reflected the cultural understanding of teaching in the respective countries. And so I sort of took that understanding or that idea and I thought that maybe there are also systematic differences within a country that reflect different levels of knowledge. And that's sort of how this idea came about originally. And so given that sort of organic approach that didn't start from a very strong theoretical point of view, Initially, we were interested in understanding how teachers scored analysis of teaching events related to all sorts of external measures, for example, um, instructional quality or student learning. And so much of the early work on, on this measure was really understanding the meaning of scores. And so this current chapter sort of provided us with the opportunity to now take a more careful psychometric look at sort of the design of our measure and the dimensionality uh, it produces in the assessment data. And so it's another important piece to be able to understand what our measure exactly is measuring and how it might relate to the underlying construct of teacher knowledge that we are very interested in. Mm -hmm. 
So the chapter in the book is titled uh, Examining and Understanding Dimensionality in the Context of Instrument Development, as you were just uh, speaking about. So we don't have a lot of time to dig into all the details of this chapter, and I would really encourage listeners who are interested to get their hands on this book or to get this chapter when it does come out soon. But can you give us a little bit of an overview of what you would say the main idea is that you arrived at through this chapter and that you're trying to present with regard to dimensionality and this classroom video analysis instrument? Yeah, I guess that I two different messages that are sort of um, complementary in some ways. I think the first message is that it's really important as we are developing instruments in all sorts of different areas that we carefully look and assess the dimensionality of our assessment data so that we can choose, for example, the correct psychometric models um, that we use to calibrate our items and scales. In the past, what has often happened is that people have chosen often for convenience, simple unidimensional models, even though there were clear indications in the data that the constructs or the um, data that were obtained are multidimensional. So that's the first message that with regard to the classroom video analysis instrument, we have been wondering about whether teachers' analysis of these teaching events, which we score and take as measures of their usable knowledge, whether the different dimensions along which we score teacher responses, whether they are um, all indicators of one underlying construct, in our case, usable teacher knowledge, or whether mm. they actually represent sort of distinct subdomains. And mm. so based on, on the analysis of dimensionality of our data, it looks like that there's a little bit of both. There are strong sort of correlations between the different subscales, which means really there's a lot of commonly shared variance among all items. But then there's also evidence that there is multidimensionality that's sort of part of the assessment design. And I think for us, what's coming out of this is that we are in a position to sort of look at our scores both ways, be able to calibrate them as a somewhat unidimensional scale and being able to calibrate them as a multidimensional scale, which might sort of relate to the specific purpose for which we are providing or obtaining scores. The message that I would not want people to take away from this <laughs> is that things don't matter. It's just in our particular case, that's what we found, that we have evidence for multidimensionality, but we also have evidence for unidimensionality. And so I guess the main point is that it's really important to actually carefully look at the dimensionality and the data rather than assuming one way or the other. Mm -hmm. So it's not just a, a contradiction that means you should throw all of this out. It means it's a complicated construct or it's a complicated phenomena that you're trying to understand and we don't fully understand it yet or we don't have a theoretical basis that explains the what you're seeing in terms of multidimensionality and unidimensionality. Yes, we are actually like doing additional work right now to sort of help sort that out. Mm -hmm. And just to uh, give the listeners a little bit of a chance to see what you dig into in the chapter, there's the mathematical content possible dimension of this usable t uh, mathematics knowledge for the teachers, but there's also things like attending to the student thinking or, or having an awareness and understanding of how students think about mathematics. Would that possibly be like a second dimension that you explored? Yes, yeah, yeah, that's exactly what our assessment sort of tries to measure. We have like four different scoring rubrics that we apply to teachers' written analysis of these teaching events. 
And the first one is, as you just mentioned, like mathematical content, like to what degree do teachers analyze the mathematics that they observed in the video clip. Another dimension is to what degree do teachers analyze students' mathematical understanding. A third dimension is to what degree do teachers offer, provide um, suggestions for improving the observed teaching episode. And then finally, we have a fourth dimension which sort of seeks to rate the overall depth of the interpretation. And mm. so what we have been finding is that if we factor analyze our scores, the statistical solution reflects a four-dimensional correlated factor structure. But that is sort of in part due to the design of the instrument. I think what is really important to consider is that the analysis of, our, of, of the dimensionality in our data does not necessarily tell us something about the structure of the underlying construct because the design of the instrument is something that we controlled. And right. so the dimensionality in the data is to a big part, part of the design of the instrument itself. And because we don't have a lot of understanding yet about the structure of teacher knowledge, we are right now basically seeing descriptive results of the instrument we created. And our next task is now to connect that to our hypotheses about the underlying construct. I see. So that goes, that's a good point going back to the warning that you gave about dimensionality before and how it really is tied to the data that you have and that additional work is needed to connect the dots from what you're seeing in a particular data set from a particular instrument to connect that to a sort of theoretical claim about the idea of the knowledge itself or the theoretical representation of the knowledge. Yes, that's absolutely correct. I'm speaking with Nikki Kirstein from the University of Arizona, and we've been talking about her chapter that's in the forthcoming book, Psychometric Methods in Mathematics Education. And in just a few moments, I'm going to be speaking with some other co-authors from that same book. But before I let Nikki go, I want to ask one final question. So Nikki, this is a fun question that I ask all my guests, and it's, what can you imagine doing as a career if you weren't in education research? That was a very easy one for me. So <laughs> I think I'd be a profiler. Oh, for like criminal profiler? Yes. Or, uh -huh. oh, do you, uh, where do you feel you got the knack for that from? Oh, I don't know that I have the knack, but I'm just really <laughs> interested in how people think. I find it fascinating to sort of understand thinking of people. Mm -hmm. Do you have some television shows that you enjoy to kind of vicariously live through that career? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, some of them can be kind of disturbing. I'm thinking like criminal minds and things yeah, like that. Yeah. But well, that's very good. Um, thanks so much for taking the time to speak with me and I look forward to this book officially coming out. Yeah, thank you so much for the opportunity to have me share some of the work we have been doing. Thanks a lot. Next, we're going to be speaking with some co-authors who have written another chapter in the book Psychometric Methods in Mathematics Education. And this chapter is called The Interaction Between Measure Design and Construct Development, Building Validity Arguments. So with me, I have the first two authors, Eric Jacobson, who's in the Department of Curriculum and Instruction at Indiana University. Eric, thanks for being here. Great to be here, Sam. And also Janine Remillard, who's a co-editor on the book, but also a co-author on this chapter. And Janine is in the um, Teaching, Learning, and Leadership Division of the Graduate School of Education at the University of Pennsylvania. Janine, thanks for being here as well. Thank you. 
So before we dig into that chapter, um, looking at the measure design and construct development, um, which was also co-authored with Mark Hoover and Wendy Aaron, but before we get there, I always like to get all of my guests and put them on the map. Um, so I'm wondering where you did your doctoral studies, and then what was the focus of your dissertation at that time? I did my doctoral work at the University of Georgia, and my dissertation focused on teachers' mathematics-related knowledge and beliefs uh, and how those are related to experiences teaching. And I did three studies. So one was about the relationship between field experience and knowledge and beliefs. And I did a secondary analysis of TED's M data. And then the other one uh, looked at correlates, such as collaborations that teachers might have uh, in their school placements. And then a third one looked at longitudinal change in knowledge and beliefs. Okay, and who'd you work with there on that project? Uh, my advisor was Jeremy Kilpatrick. Oh. And Janine, how about you? Yeah, so I uh, received my doctorate back in 1996 from Michigan State University. Right. I um, studied teachers using mathematics curriculum materials, particularly what we were calling reform-oriented materials, which were based on the NCTM standards, and I was looking at how teachers made sense of and interacted with and used those materials to develop instruction, and actually how those materials influenced their practice and led to different kinds of opportunities for learning. And Deborah Ball was my advisor. I'd say a good set of advisors that we have here, huh? <laughs> But um, so in this chapter, we've been talking across some of the contents of this book, Psychometric Methods in Mathematics Education, that's coming out soon from NCTM. And we're getting these uh, illustrations and portraits of how people in math education are starting to use and collaborate with psychometric methods. So in your case, you have this uh, issue of measure design and construct development, and I was wondering what the genesis of this chapter was. And in the chapter, you look across four projects. So I was wondering how the genesis of this came about, and what were you hoping to find by looking across the projects? Yeah, so the genesis um, really came from the conference that Andrew Itzik Jonathan and I put on. We brought together mathematics educators and psychometricians who were collaborating around um, issues of measuring knowledge. The idea was that we wanted to really think about what it means to truly collaborate and not just use psychometricians uh, to develop tools that math educators could use. Mm -hmm. And part of the conference involved times for folks to get together and just discuss issues that might turn into writing projects. And the, the uh, discussion group that the four of us who were authors um, on the chapter, plus a few others, were in focused on measure development and item development and issues of validity. And the group were all math educators, and we all had different kinds of experiences with psychometricians in our work. We, were, we represented the four different projects that we discuss in the chapter. And as we talked about our experiences, what surfaced were the kind of um, themes and issues that were sort of profound in our coming to understand ways of thinking about item development that sort of didn't fit with the standard view that 
math educators um, have ideas about what they want to measure, and then psychometricians just sort of develop the measures. And so writing the chapter provided us an opportunity to really kind of identify some of the themes that emerged from that work and that we learned actually from doing the work with psychometricians. Mm-hmm. So the different projects were all focused on teachers' knowledge. So um, the first project, uh, Improving Curriculum Use for Better Teaching, the iQubit project, uh, studied teachers' knowledge of mathematics embedded in curriculum materials. And then the second project, Diagnosing Teachers' Multiplicative Reasoning, looked at middle grade teachers' knowledge of fractions and proportions. The third group, Learning Mathematics for Teaching, looked at mathematical knowledge for teaching of elementary and middle grades mathematics. And the last group, Thought Experiments in Mathematics Teaching, focused on practical rationality for teaching geometry and algebra. So they were, in one sense, all focused on teachers' knowledge, but in another sense, uh, quite a diverse range. Um, And so it was striking to us that even though the projects were so different, the collaboration, the involvement of psychometricians led to some common themes, specifically Mm -hmm. around validity. Okay, great. So I was wondering if you could give us a preview of some of those themes when you did look across the four projects, thinking about the collaboration and the validity issues. Okay, so I'm going to start and talk a little bit to give a little bit of backdrop about the way the chapter is organized, which is around the themes. And then Eric is going to identify the three themes and maybe go into depth on one. One thing that we um, do in the chapter is we look at the sort of common paradigm in educational research and particularly in funding agencies that form kind of a cycle of development that moves from practice-based problems to sort of new theories, and then you develop tools, and then you use those tools to um, sort of measure phenomena in practice or design interventions, and then that feeds back to new problems. And so you have this cycle that is commonly used. So the cycle assumes that the experience just keeps going from the development of measures to the use of those measures. And the themes that we report on in the chapter look at the work of developing tools leading sort of back to understanding the theories and um, constructs that support the development of those tools. So we often think about having kind of a framework for knowledge. And once you have that framework firmly solidified, you develop measures and items to actually assess that knowledge. And our chapter looks at the different ways the actual item development led to further enhancing, changing, expanding our understanding of the the frameworks, the knowledge constructs that we were measuring. So in the chapter, we start by talking about that cycle, and then we, we, each of the themes we discuss unpacks the, um, one aspect of the relationship between those sort of points on the cycle. And then the other thing that I wanted to say is that the, the three themes in the chapter, we uh, use examples from two of the four projects to kind of elaborate. So somebody reading the chapter would also get a sense of what the what the projects are about and the kinds of things that we're trying to measure. And even we provide some released items to, that illustrate the kinds of themes we're talking about. Mm-hmm. 
one of the nice things about this work, uh, one of the really fun parts, was getting a little bit under the hood for each of these projects. So I think projects and research in mathematics education is often like doing proofs. It's easy to just see the polished result and sometimes difficult to see or understand the process that other projects that you read about in papers might have gone through. And so this paper really gets at some of that process. In particular, we identified three themes uh, that we call productive tensions, uh, because each one was productive in the sense it moved the project forward, but it was also a real tension often between mathematics education on the one hand and psychometrics on the other um, that required expertise from both communities. So the, those three themes were this tension between uh, item design on the one hand and then situated knowledge on the other. And I'll talk a little bit more about that first one in a moment. Uh, the second, Janine has already mentioned, uh, which is this issue of discrepancies between uh, the initial framing of a construct and then some of the analysis results leading to kind of going back and maybe revising the construct and then the tension that the projects faced around really measuring and trying to assess uh, domains of knowledge that are only have only recently been conceptualized. Mm -hmm. And all of these themes in the chapter, we link to a framework of validity. Uh, that's one of the, the main takeaways, I think, for readers of this chapter and other folks who want to engage in this kind of work. So I'll just talk briefly about the first theme and then make some connections to validity. Mm -hmm to showcase uh, some of what we discuss in the chapter. So the first theme is this tension between item design and situated knowledge. Uh, so a lot of what the projects cared about with respect to teachers' knowledge is how teachers use their knowledge actually in practice, so when they're teaching, which is kind of a, a situated knowledge. The challenge, though, is that the assessments were survey-based, and so they were clearly not cases of teachers engaging in teaching. They are cases of teachers engaging in you know, answering a survey. Yeah. And so that tension led to collaborations across many of the projects with psychometricians about item format, item design, to move things to a place where the people taking the measures were more accurately reflecting the kinds of knowledge they might use uh, while they were actually teaching. And, and the hope was to assess their situated knowledge. And the connection of this theme to validity, and in the chapter we connect all the themes to a validity framework, is really that an important way of understanding the results of the, the assessment hinges on, depends on, the connection between these items and the situated knowledge that teachers used. And so making that process visible and explicit and a focus for project work uh, was a way that several of the projects that we looked at um, moved forward with respect to this tension. Mm -hmm. I just want to add, just sort of emphasize the notion of productive tensions, and I think Eric sort of provided an example of that. The tensions we all described and experienced are very real because of the different frameworks that math educators and psychometricians might bring to the project. But the back and forth and interaction around um, resolving that tension is where the real productive work comes in, in terms of designing items or measures that uh, accomplish um, the goals of the project. 
I'm speaking with Eric Jacobson from Indiana University and Janine Remillard from the University of Pennsylvania about their chapter, The Interaction Between Measure Design and Construct Development, Building Validity Arguments. So I encourage listeners when that book comes out to um, find this chapter so that you can see the full development of those themes and see the illustrations from the various projects. You talked about how this chapter came out of that conversation and you've had a chance to share with each other about what you're learning and how you're dealing with these issues and these tensions. I'm also curious though, what you've taken from this chapter and from looking across other projects and discussing these issues, what have you taken from that into your current work or the future work that you have planned? Uh, a key idea that we end the chapter with is the importance of collaboration, real collaboration between math educators and psychometricians. I think as math educators, it's important to understand how assessments are made um, to be critical of how they're being used. My sense is that actually a lot of math educators have that expertise at this point, but I think a, a next step for our field is more active, productive collaboration outside of mathematics education with statisticians and psychometricians. That's, I think that's an area the field can grow, and that I think is something that uh, this process has really made me realize in my own work. So as part of a, an internal grant, I designed a, a measure recently and uh, I think I could write the paper about reporting this measure by myself, but I've reached out to a psychometrician in the school, uh, here where I work, the School of Education at Indiana University, uh, and we're going to write the chapter together. And I hope to learn more by working with her. I also hope to introduce her to some of the issues that are important to folks like myself who apply psychometrics. And I think the long-term benefit is a product, potentially a productive collaboration moving forward with more similar work. Another piece from my own work, I was recently awarded a large NSF grant to study teacher knowledge. And uh, I know from reviewer comments and from the program officer that having a co-PI who's a psychometrician uh, was a big plus for the project right. and really critical for the funding decision. Mm -hmm. You know, that reflects the fact that having that kind of expertise uh, in a real collaboration intimately connected with the project work you know, not as support staff, but as part of um, all of the major decisions uh, is a, a real plus uh, for mathematics education projects that involve assessment. Mm -hmm. And I think my my basic response is similar to Eric's. I, I feel like I understand in a much deeper way the possibility of real collaboration with psychometricians. I had not done that previously until I started the iCubit project. And to be honest, I at first was concerned that things weren't going as seamlessly as I thought because I was confronting these these tensions that we now understand as productive. Mm -hmm. I think going forward, uh, I'm working on an, a formative assessment project uh, with others at the University of Pennsylvania and the Center for Policy Research and Education, and our work involves assessing both teacher and student knowledge, and we're we have a psychometrician that we're working with to develop measures, and the work is very collaborative. And really, we, we've developed a couple of measures that really allow us to assess aspects of students' work on multiplicative reasoning and fractions that are really quite new. So we're quite excited about that. It does sound exciting. We'll look forward to that work as well in the future. And for right now, I just have one closing question that I want to ask both of you. And this is a question from Aaron Brackenecki, also a Michigan State connection there that Janine and I have. What can you imagine yourself doing as a career if you weren't in math education? 
and maybe start with Eric on this. Sure. Um, so I've always been interested in making things, and I'm a bit of a pyromaniac. Um, <laughs> Uh-oh. And uh, ceramics is something that combines both of those interests. Okay. So you make things out of clay, and then you heat them up really hot with a big fire. Yeah. Uh, in college, I worked at a pottery studio, and I taught people how to throw bowls and plates and vases on a wheel. And I made a bunch of things, like a, a set of dishes for, uh, for uh, my sister when she got married. And at my wedding, I made party favors for folks. So I can imagine uh, if I wasn't doing education research, working as a studio pottery and maybe teaching ceramic classes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a very productive use. When you said uh, pyromania type things, I wasn't sure where that was going to go. <laughs> <laughs> well, my first response is much less interesting than Eric's. I think I would be either teaching math or uh, coaching teachers or developing curriculum materials. Those are all things that I love doing. And one of the wonderful things about being a math education researcher is that you often get to do these other things as well, develop curriculum and mm -hmm. um, work with teachers. I would say that completely outside of education, I think I would probably be a soccer coach. I am oh. still active as a soccer player. Uh -huh. And if I had more time, would love to do more coaching. Mm -hmm. Did you get to watch any of the Olympic soccer matches? Yes, I did saddened by the women's U.S. team, mm -hmm. uh, their defeat to Sweden, but it was, yes, I did watch. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you both so much for taking the time to speak about your chapter, and we look forward to the book coming out as soon as possible, as soon as NCTM can bring it to us. We're ready to receive it. Thanks a lot, Sam. Yeah, thank you so much, Sam. This has been really a great conversation. Mm -hmm.